Are we all ready? Are we all ready for the word? Yes. yes. Amen. How are we all doing? Are we enjoying the snow? No. <laughs> Amen. Are you tired of shoveling? <laughs> now nah, this one is making us pay gym membership, but it's all good. Amen. Happy Valentine's Day to you all. Happy Happy Valentine's Day. Amen. Amen. I, I thought I'll see all of you wearing your red or your pink or something, but I don't everybody is black. I don't see anybody, amen, <laughs> except my wife. <laughs> amen. But we thank God for today. Okay, here you go. I see you. I see you. Amen. We thank God for today. I'm not a red. Uh, that that's fine. It, it it doesn't really matter. Amen. We good. But we thank God for this morning. We're gonna go straight into the word. Well, before I preach, let me acknowledge Pastor Lanello Hayford, Zoe Fire Ministries, Accra, Ghana, and uh, Pastor Frank Amwako Jampa, Word of Life Christian Center, Brussels, Belgium. Gentlemen, you are welcome. Amen. Anytime I see them, I just get excited in my spirit. Amen. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for an opportunity to minister to your people. We ask that your word will come forth in power, yet in simplicity and in clarity of speech. We thank you that today we will be inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that our hearts will be enlarged so that we can run the course of these commandments in this teaching in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, today I just want us to continue on what we've been um, going across, and that's knowing Christ. Amen. So I'm on part three, the fellowship of his sufferings. So last week, we talked about the aspect of knowing the power of his resurrection. And every believer is afforded the new life because of the spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And that spirit we, we came to establish is the power of his resurrection. We then looked at Paul making a case for the resurrection and talking of its power, which all professing believers should note. We look at 10 things, namely, all from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Number one, if Christ is not risen, there is no hope for resurrection. So thank God that he rose, and because he rose, there is that hope that we will get to partake of resurrection. Number two, our preaching is empty. Number three, our faith is empty. Number four, we are false witnesses. If there was no resurrection, Christianity is not credible. It's not. But because of resurrection, Christianity is credible, it's authentic. You and I can stick our lives to it. Number five, if Christ is not risen, we are still in our sins. Aren't we grateful for resurrection? Jesus Christ being crucified was symbolism of him dying for our sins. Him resurrecting means we have been justified and been declared righteous. So the death and the resurrection are both very important events that play a central crux of our Christian faith. Number six, we are the most pitiable of all men with our resurrection. Um, just um, this past week, I know of two people who have died, and I sorrowed 
but with hope because we are not the most pitiable of all men. They were Christians and, and I know certainly we will all meet again in the new Jerusalem after the end of this age. The last, number seven, the last enemy called death will be destroyed. And I explained it to you as we are on this earth now. The influence, the devastating effect that death has, has been destroyed. That's why when Christians die, we sleep and we transition seamlessly into eternity. But when we are talking about the last death will be destroyed in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we are talking about the present reality and the existence of death will totally be destroyed. Number eight, denying the power of resurrection will let us live a vain life. And we saw that you will just eat and drink and you will just think of just life here and you will never think of the aftermath. Number nine, you will live a life of sin. We came to realize that one of the powerful things that comes out of the resurrection is that we are able to live a sin-free life. And without resurrection, that will not be possible. And number 10, we are assured of our destiny. And what's our destiny? Glorification. The Bible lets us know that one day this corruptible flesh will drop, this mortal flesh will drop, and it will put on incorruptibility, it will put on immortality. The Bible says, by the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of a trumpet, we shall all be changed into the glory of the image of our Father. I look forward to that. So, I don't even know the real you. I don't know the real you. So I'm yet to really know the real you in the afterlife when corruptible and mortal body shall drop and that we shall have glorified body. So if you're a believer, your destiny is glorification. One day you will be glorified. I quite remember in UK, I went on my lunch break. I was working somewhere in an office. I went on my lunch break. And when I went on my lunch break, a guy just called me. He doesn't know me from anywhere. I don't know him from anywhere. He just said, Stephen. I turned. And then he motioned me I should come. He just motioned me like this, I should come. So uh, I crossed over the street, went to see him. And he said, let me see your palm. And when he looked at my palm, he mentioned everything. He talked about my father, my mother, how many, how many siblings I have, I have just one sister. He talked about everything about me, my job and everything. Then when he finished, he just gave me a card. He said, this is just a preview. If I want more information, if I want to know about my destiny, that's the word he used. If we, I want to know my destiny, I should call him. But, you know, when I took the card, I said, oh, I'm good. I already know my destiny. Thank you. And I just walk off. Amen. So as a Christian, there is no other place you can get to know about your destiny than the Bible. The Bible lets us know that our destiny is glorification. So it's not the horoscope. It's not palm readers. It's not anybody can, can give you your destiny, but the Bible. And when you read the Bible, the Bible lets us know that our destiny is we will experience glorification. That is your destiny. Be assured in that. Be restful in that. And don't chase after other things. Amen. We ended on Ephesians chapter 1 verse 90 to 23. And we said that every believer has experienced the power of his resurrection. But not every believer has a conscious knowing of the power of his resurrection. And that's why Paul prayed for the believers 
the believers had experienced the power of his resurrection, but he prayed for them that the eyes of their understanding will be enlightened as a result of the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ being upon them. And one of the three things they will know, which is in Ephesians chapter 1, is that they will know the exceeding greatness of his power. And then last week, I let you know that whenever you read the Pauline epistles, when it mentions the word power, it normally has something to do with resurrection. And when you read further on, you realize that it's talking about the power of resurrection because the Bible says this power raised Jesus up from the dead. It has set him high above all the principles, blah, blah, blah. We did all that last week. So we have to pray that we will be, have a conscious knowing of the power of his resurrection. Amen. Today, I want to move on to another facet. But before that, let's read our text for this morning in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 to 11. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 to 11. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So right from this scripture, now we've dealt with that I may know him. We've looked at the power of his resurrection. And today what we are going to look at has an experiential feel to it. It's not just something you give mental assent to. Now, when you read this, you realize that Paul wanted to be a fellow partaker of Christ's sufferings. So it leads us today to talk about being a partaker of Christ's sufferings. Amen. <laughs> I hope I don't spoil your Valentine's Day mood. It's a good message. Don't worry. It's a good message. <laughs> Now, when you read the message translation, it renders it this way. Be a partner in his suffering. So, for us to go further into this, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to 7. I'm going to read this in the NIV, New International Version. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of compassion and the God of comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we receive ourselves from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. So from this um, passage of scripture, Christianity also involves troubles and sufferings, as we just read. You have to know that. Amen. Any evangelist who sounds the clarion call of coming to Christ spells the end of all your troubles is truly not preaching the gospel there are some guarantees that will happen when you come to christ coming to christ promises a better life and when i'm talking about a better life i'm talking about you were dead in your trespasses and sins and now you've been made alive unto god and you are justified that is a better life it's better than being dead in trespasses to sin 
it is a better life because now you now have the power of God in you to be able to overcome sin. It's a better life because now you are not living under the tag of condemnation. You are now living under the tag of you have been justified. In fact, when you read the New Testament carefully, it's very silent about material blessings. How be it, a Christian can get rich too. Because there are many scriptures in the Bible, especially if you look at the Old Testament, where the saints of God were rich. Abraham was one, Isaac was one, Jacob was one, Joseph was one. Even Daniel, I also consider rich. David was one, King Solomon was one. But when you read the New Testament, it's silent because it wants to place much premium on the spiritual state of the believer. Because if it's, if, it's, if it's just going to offer you just riches as a better life, then what will we say to millionaires? What will we say to billionaires? So yes, a Christian can get rich too, but it's premium, the, 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 the emphasis of a better life in the New Testament has to do with the spiritual state of a person. So yes, Christianity promises a better life. It also promises a better ending, fully guaranteed. We looked at that last week. The end of the believer the destiny of a believer is glorification we looked at that it promises that so christianity has some great promises but christianity doesn't promise a trouble free a suffering free life it doesn't and from this scripture passage one of the ways god is going to send comfort when we are in trouble is through other believers and that's why sometimes when you are going through it, you are going in the, in the thick of it, one of the things the devil will always want to do is to separate you from the brethren. Because if he's able to separate you from the brethren, he has separated you from a major source of comfort. And also, another way by which you can also receive comfort when you go through, through, through troubles is the Holy Spirit. Hence his name, the Comforter. When you read John chapter 14, the Bible says that, and I will send you another comforter, King James Version. Other contemporary versions use the word helper. It's just the same. So the Holy Spirit also comforts us when we suffer, when we go into adverse situations that is beyond our reach. We receive comfort from the Holy Spirit. How be it, God also sends comfort through other believers. So Christian, be relational. When you are going through it, don't cut off people because God is going to use people as a source of blessing for you. Amen. Now, let's read on to verses 9 to 10. I want us to see something there. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and thus deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Every Christian listening to me today has to surrender to God's sentence of death. And the devil is not the cause of this. Now, from this scripture, I see five things that I want us to pick up from this. The sentence of death makes us not trust in ourselves. The sentence of death has nothing to do with harming this physical body when we are talking about the sentence of death the sentence of death is talking about crucifying the inward man that struggles 
with the born again spirits. So the sentence of death truly crucifies our flesh. And please understand when I'm talking about the flesh, I am talking about a mindset that makes you behave worldly. It's called the flesh. A mindset that makes you behave worldly. The sentence of death also enables us to go through suffering. Because when you read the whole book of 2 Corinthians, Paul actually talks about the price at which he had to pay for the call of God and for his apostleship. And he went through it through much suffering. When you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22 to 27, Paul lists some things. And you know the scary thing? After he listed about more than 20 things, he said, besides other things. So it means I don't have time. That's what it means. I don't have time to go through the rest of my suffering besides other things. And these were some of the things he mentions. Labors above abundance. Stripes above measure. Frequent imprisonments. Often death experiences. Judicial weapon. You know the funny thing? In Paul's case, he differentiated the beatings. There's what we call stripes, and then there's what is called judicial weapon. You know, in Paul's context, the hardened criminal was sentenced to 39 stripes because you were a hardened criminal. And Paul received that five times. So Paul, a preacher of the gospel, was being equated to a hardened criminal. Now, um, further on, when you read, it says he was beaten with rods thrice. He, he was in a shipwreck thrice. Two weeks ago, Pastor Robert preached a message on one of the shipwrecks in Acts chapter 27. Night and day in the deep, he was often in journeys, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, his own countrymen, Gentiles, people he is preaching to, he's in danger of. He's in danger of his Jews. And when you read the book of Acts, you see how hostile the Jewish people were to him. And to the Gentiles too, the same. We read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul had to fight beasts in Ephesus. And I explained to you, it's a figurative expression. It's people. Of the wilderness, of the city, of the sea, and false brethren. He was in peril of all these people. Weariness, toil, often not sleeping, in hunger and thirst. Is it because he was preaching the gospel, he became hungry. He also became thirsty. And then he fasted in cold and in nakedness. So Paul went all through these things. But do you know why Paul's faith was resolute? Do you know why he was still able to hold fast to his confession, hold fast to his testimony? And when you read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, this Paul was able to say, I have finished my race. My life has been poured out as a drink offering. And now what awaits me is the crown of righteousness that I will receive. Do you know why Paul was able to come to the end of his Christian faith and he was so hopeful that he had finished his race? Was because he had experienced what was called the sentence of death. And today, Christian, if you don't learn how to surrender to God's sentence of death, which is not caused by the devil, you are not going to last long in this Christian faith. Now, the sentence of death makes us trust in his resurrection. And when you read it, he said it, that we should not trust in ourselves, 
but God who raises the dead. When you have the sentence of death upon you, you have a divine perspective. That is resurrection. The sentence of death also makes us trust in God's deliverance. So, when you surrender to God, your will be done. Not my will, but your will. You believe that he will deliver you. And Paul said it. Who delivered us from so great a death? Now, at the time Paul was writing this, he had experienced a near physical death experience and God delivered him. And he he was attesting to the deliverance of God that even though I'm suffering for Christ for the sake of the gospel, I believe and trust in his deliverance. He said, who is able to deliver us from so great a death does deliver us in whom we trust he shall still deliver us. And then mind you, our sufferings for Christ is relative. Now this is what Paul suffered. So I'm not saying that you might experience the nature of Paul's suffering. But one way or another, all of us are going to experience some kind of suffering because of the gospel. Are you understanding me? So suffering is relative. I can't compare, you know, someone who is suffering in America to someone who is suffering in the Middle East for the gospel. So the sufferings may be relative, but however, you have to understand the concept of Christian suffering when it comes to spiritual things. Amen. Now, when Jesus invited us into discipleship, he invited us to a death sentence. It was important to Jesus that it was quoted five times in the scripture. It was quoted twice in Matthew, once in Mark, and twice in Luke. So, I'm going to read Matthew's um, version. Uh, that's Matthew chapter 16. So that we look at some things there. So, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So the cross is a death sentence. And what does the cross do? It crucifies the flesh. So Jesus says that if you want to be a disciple, come after me. Deny yourself. Deny yourself of the pleasures that go against the will of God. Deny yourself of the pleasures that go against the word of God. There is nothing wrong with having pleasure. We all need pleasure. Pleasure is good. But pleasures that, that go against the will of God, that go against the, the will of God, has to be denied and take up the cross. Crucifixion. It's a death sentence. The cross is a death sentence to our soul. Because when our soul experiences a death sentence, then we can truly say one has experienced a transformation. And within our soul is our mind. And mind you, not every suffering is Christian suffering. 
So we also have to balance that very clearly. So when we are talking about being a partaker of his suffering, not every suffering is Christian suffering. Go with me to Luke chapter 4, verse 18 to 19. I hope yesterday we all read the presiding bishop's devotional. Please, if you haven't read it, um, do, do so. He talked on crucify the flesh. And he used Luke's version. And I would like you to read it. Because when you read it, it sort of have a similarity here. Luke chapter 4 verse 18 to 19. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So there are five types of suffering which are mentioned here, which is not for the cause of the gospel. Poor, brokenhearted, captive, blind, and oppress and he provided remedy for these gospel preaching to the poor healing to the captives liberty no healing to the blind i'm sorry liberty to the captives and the oppressed i am also not saying if you are living for christ you won't suffer these things but sometimes it might not be christ related so not all suffering is Christian suffering. You have to get that clear. And when we are talking about Christian suffering, we are talking about having some sort of discomfort, some hardship because of your faith in Christ or for the preaching of the gospel. And that's what I'm talking about. And that's what Apostle Paul says that, that I might be a fellow partaker. I want to be an I want to experience this. It, it, it has to have an experiential knowledge. It's not something I want to give mental assent to, but that I might be a partaker of a suffering. So not all suffering is Christian suffering. Amen. And it's for this reason why we have one of the virtues in the fruit of the Spirit called long-suffering. And why do we have long-suffering? We have long-suffering because... It helps us to hold on to our faith, bear up any difficulty until the end of the road. One of the things that you have to be encouraged is that every suffering for the sake of the gospel, every suffering for your faith in Christ has an expiry date, has an end date. But what will help you to hold on until the very end is that virtue called long suffering. So, this is my question. If there was no suffering in Christianity, why would the Holy Spirit make advanced plans for us to bear one of the virtues in the fruit of the Spirit called long-suffering? So long-suffering plays a very key role. The virtue of long-suffering, which is part of the fruit of the Spirit, plays a key role in helping us to hold on until it expires. Every suffering has an expiry date. As a Christian, you will not experience perpetual suffering. But it is important for you to know that there are instances whereby you will experience hard times, discomfort, hardship in your Christian race. 
and for you to be able to see through it and come to the end of it, that you will still be able to hold on to your faith, you will still be declaring the testimony of the Lord, you will need the virtue of long-suffering. Do we all understand? Now, what does Jesus say about suffering then? Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 to 12. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 to 12. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you, so this is what Christ calls suffering. So when I'm talking about suffering, I'm not talking about being sick, being abused. You know, you can see some Christian spouses who are being abused in the name of I'm suffering for Christ. That's not suffering for Christ. Not every suffering is suffering. So when we are talking about being a fellow partaker of Christ's suffering, this is one of it. You'll be reviled. You'll be persecuted. And what does it mean to be persecuted in this verse? It means that people are going to say all kinds of evil falsely for Christ's sake. But the Bible says that we should rejoice and be exceedingly glad because great is our reward. Yes, it might be painful, but great is your reward. It hurts when someone speaks ill towards you, speaks evil against you, speaks lies against you for the sake of your faith in Christ or for living out your Christian virtues. And we are living in a, in a time now where that is now paramount. But the Bible says that we should look at the end goal. For great is our reward and we should be exceedingly glad. Now, when you read Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 to 26 again, Jesus talks about other kinds of suffering, and I will not want to read it. But if you look at the 10 verses there, two main things are mentioned. You will be scourged, and you'll be hated by family. And what does it mean to be hated by family? If they are not of the same faith. That's what it means. And that's why every September in this church, we have Friends and Family Month. And why do we have friends and family month? Because we intercede for people so that they will receive Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. When Paul met the jailer in Acts chapter 16, he says that believe in the Lord and you shall be saved. And you and your household will be saved. Believe in the Lord your God and you and your household will be saved. So it says the will of the Lord that not you alone will be saved, but your family too will be saved. He said, when your family is saved, then you will not be hated by your family. But when you read the scripture, the reason why a parent will rise against a parent, no, a parent will rise against a child, siblings will rise against each other, is because they don't have the same faith. So, one of the ways to deal with hatred by the family, which can be suffering for Christ, is to intercede daily and consistently for the salvation of their soul. It takes away that problem of being hated by a family. But being scourged 
And the reason why I put sketch in 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 vector commerce is sketch here can be figurative or it can be literal. Jesus was saying that a time is coming that when you preach the gospel, you'll be sketched by the people. That was literal. When you read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, the Bible says that whom the Lord loves, he chastens. It's the same Greek word scourge. That word sketch there is figurative. So, Christian suffering today is when you espouse Christian views, you will be criticized. You will be sketched. And that's a figurative expression. It almost becomes an anomaly to declare boldly who you are for Christ. It's almost an anomaly to say, I believe in the biblical standard of marriage, which is one man, one woman. Now, if you believe that truth, get ready to be scourged. Get ready to be persecuted. That is suffering for Christ. So the last two verses are very important. When you read Matthew chapter 10, verse 24 to 26, Jesus says something. You are not above your master. He says, no disciple is above his teacher or a servant above his master. And he said, if they called me Beelzebub, how much more would they call those who are of my household? Then Jesus says something. Don't fear them. For there is nothing covered that will be revealed. So Jesus is telling us that in the midst of us being persecuted, don't be timid, don't be lame, but be bold. And there is something also Jesus said that is worthy of notice. He says that when you are persecuted in your city, flee to another. So yes, you might be suffering for Christ, but also look for the nearest exit out. Jesus said so. He said, if you are persecuted in a city, flee to another. So look for the nearest exit out. Pray for it that God will give you a way of escape. Yes, God has made it so that we will suffer for the gospel, but God has also made a way of escape out. So whilst you might be going through tough times for the sake of your faith, Pray that God will also open your eyes for you to know the way out of the situation. Because going through suffering forever can kill. It doesn't make anything better. And and why do we have to suffer? Is it because of God? Not necessarily. It is because of the fallen state of the world. It is because of sin that is in this world. It is because of the morals of the world don't agree with the morals of the world. It is because of Kingdoms are fighting against each other. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And that is why there is suffering. So as far as we are in this world, as Christians, we will be fellow partakers of Christ's suffering. Now, when you read Romans chapter 8, verse 16 to 17, it's stated clearly, if Christ suffered, we will also suffer. So it's inevitable And that's why every Christian has to surrender to God's sentence of death. Because that is the only way you will be able to go through suffering. Amen.
Now, let me encourage you with this scripture in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 16. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, and on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Some points to take from this verse. It is not a strange thing to suffer as a Christian. Don't think it strange that you are suffering. Apostle Peter wrote this episode particularly to encourage believers who were going through tough times for the sake of their faith. And Peter now is admonishing them through his episode that don't think it strange that you are suffering as a Christian. So it's not strange. Number two, rejoice that you are a partaker because of the end results. What is the end result? The end result is that his glory shall be revealed and we will, we will be glad with exceeding joy. The end result is that if we are reproached for the name of Christ, we are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon us. And then the third thing that we can take, not all suffering is a Christian one. Peter mentions four things. Don't suffer as a thief, a murderer, evildoer, or a busybody. All these people suffer. Don't suffer like them. So when we are talking about suffering, it's important for us to distinguish the kind of suffering. We are talking about Christian suffering. Suffering for your faith in Christ or for the sake of the gospel. That's what we are talking about. And then the last thing we can pick up is don't be ashamed when you suffer, but glorify God in this matter. Amen. I'd like to bring my message to a close. John chapter 12, verse 23 to 26. Jesus had this final thing to say about suffering before he went to the cross. John 12, verse 23 to 26. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain or much fruit. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me where I am. There my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him will my father honor. Suffering produces more fruits for the kingdom. You will not believe it. The reason why the gospel has been propagated is because of the sufferings and the hardship the apostles, the early church, endured. And that's why we have what we have today. And that's why today we have almost 3 billion people professing to be Christians because people paid the price. They inconvenienced themselves for the sake of the gospel. They endured hardship for their faith in Christ. Jesus said it. He says, if I don't die, 
I can't produce much fruits. And there is, we all have a certain suffering. What are you prepared to let go? That's why I say suffering is relative. For some, it's a certain pleasure you have to let go. For some, it's a certain sinful habit you have to let it go. For some, it's a certain character trait you have. You have to prepare to put it on the chopping block of God and sentence it to death. Otherwise, you can't bear forth much fruits. I once gave you um, this shocking statistic about uh, a, a, a social scientist who talked about England could become an Islamic state if not careful. And the reason why she, she gave that analogy was because Christianity has fallen to such low standards. Low standards. And that the reason why people love Islam is because of its hardcore. That's the word she used. That when Christianity was hardcore, when it was suffering for Christ, when it was about the cross, England was a Christian country. These were her words. I don't even know whether she's a Christian, but these were her words. Suffering produces more fruits. And you receive a recompense. Christian brother, Christian sister, listen to me. If you have suffered for the sake of the gospel, if you have suffered because of your faith in Christ, you will receive a recompense. Whatever you lose, you will gain it back. Never forget that. But the Bible says that if you try to keep, you rather lose. I like this. Where Christ is, that is where I will be also. And then he says that my father will honor you. If you are able to endure whatever hardship for the sake of the gospel, God will honor you. But you know the condition? The condition is, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. Follow Christ. When you follow Christ, you don't just follow his teachings. You also follow him in all his way. If the Son of Man suffered for the sake of the gospel and for his faith, you will also. And Apostle Paul rightly said, Thy may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. Today, I just want us to pray one prayer. That may we be able to handle adversity in stride and with grace. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul says something. That no temptation has fallen to man, which is not common. But God is able to make a way of escape that you may bear it. So sometimes the way of escape is you will go through it. You will not come out of it. That might be your way of escape. May we be able to bear any inconvenience, hardship, adversity with stride and in grace. May, may we come out not losing our faith, but still proclaiming who God is in Jesus' name. Let's begin to pray. Can you pray just in the next one minute? Thank you, Lord. We give you praise. Oh, hallelujah. I've delivered your word to your people, Lord. 
Father, give us grace. In Jesus' name. Amen.